0: Futures. I'm Hugh Seaton. Today, I'm here with Prakash Sangani, co-founder and CEO of the Navatech Group. Prakash, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Hugh. Great to be here.
0: We've been talking for like a year about this, so I'm gre- I'm really excited to have you. Let's start with what Navatech is.
1: Brilliant. Yeah. So Navatech was founded kind of out of my own frustrations working in the industry. So I'm a civil engineer by background. Have spent my entire career in the construction industry and I've seen kind of really good implementations of technology and really bad implementations of technology and I think like most sort of technology founders I thought I can probably do it better myself and one of the technologies that I felt would most have an impact on the industry was AI this was about four years ago and so we developed our first product called safety.ai and safety is spelled s-a-i-f-e-t-y just because we're putting the ai in safety and it's essentially a conversational interface to a safety management system so what we found was that lots of people were using conversational applications to kind of exchange information around safety to uh, manage incidents when safety incidents happened and none of this was structured and in order for you to get any kind of analytics or get any insights on these exchanges you have to duplicate this data into Excel spreadsheets or into databases or into formal systems. And I just thought that's a complete waste of time. It's open to error. And so, yeah, so we came up with safety.ai as the product. Since then, we've kind of expanded. So Novatech now kind of got three branches. So we've got the SaaS product, safety.ai. We do some bespoke conversational AI deployments, all still focused around the construction industry and particularly around safety and then we've got digital transformation consulting where we're working with construction firms or construction related firms and helping them to get prepared to develop their strategies and to be able to to deploy these types of technologies into their organizations
0: wow that's really great so you're helping people to understand how to use a product like yours and you have one really really interesting that's the plan Talk- yeah Yeah. Talk to me about how you define conversational AI. That's one of those words that gets used a lot, but people don't define it so well.
1: Yeah. So for me, conversational AI is supposed to be as natural as possible. Um, It should feel like you're talking to a a friend or another human being at the very least. And the whole point of that is that through these natural language interactions with a computer system, you should be able to capture data and be able to disseminate data back out to users. And I think for me, that that has really grown. So, if we take GPT as an as a perfect example, so GPT has been around, or the, the concept of GPTs has been around for many many years in kind of academia and, and working in the background. But it only kind of came into the public consciousness when OpenAI put a chatbot interface in front of it, essentially a conversational AI interface in front in front of a GPT. And then we've all seen kind of it's, it's the fastest adopted technology platform ever. And that, for me, is kind of the whole premise of what we've been trying to do in safety, is the belief that this conversational interface to systems is the way that we naturally want to kind of interact with these systems.
0: Got it. Well, I would expand your point about GPT. I mean, the, the idea came from 2017, right? And it was kind of an unsteerable thing while they were building it. And I guess the big thing that that they did was reinforcement learning with human feedback. Is that Something that you include when you sort of help people to build these things, do you help with making it useful for their their particular instance or their particular need?
1: One hundred percent. And the the human factor within this is a, is is a huge part of it. So the the kind of generative AI and the conversational AI can only go so far. It it definitely as a very minimum we we need to check the outputs and make sure, because we're obviously dealing with people's lives here and we don't want to be giving people the wrong advice or incorrect advice. But also, I think, making sure that we're reinforcing the learning through human interactions and, and validating the outputs of it is, is very, very important. And the inputs in the first place have come from humans in the, to begin with, right? So the, the inputs that we're using to train our models and to train our conversational AI have been generated by human beings, right from their source.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You used a really important word in there. And that is that you're, you're making sure that as the outputs are created, that there's a human that's validating them. One of the things we talk about is this idea of human in the loop, which, you know, it, there re- really is no AI right now that's good enough to be just left alone. You always want to have a human somehow checking to make sure that it's not missing something or it, it's not, you know, misinformed, whatever. How do you guys view that?
1: I think it's essential. This whole premise that the AI will take over and and do certain things all by itself, I think that's mis- misguided and misleading. I think with a lot of these AI tools, they're essentially going to be part of a tool set and augment human experiences and augment human decision making. So they're they're there to to kind of be your sidekick or and as the term's becoming more popular you'll be your co-pilot right so you're the pilot and you've got this trusted co-pilot by your side that's that's assisting you not taking over and doing everything on your behalf and, and i think that is fundamentally important to understand uh, how these systems will evolve and develop and that they won't take over everything that we do
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, what you're saying with what you're doing with with safety and and, and a lot of other informational services is you're not asking it to make decisions. You're asking it to make recommendations or asking it to help you surface information when you need it. But ultimately, no one's asking your product or others really to be making decisions right now. Is that how you think about it?
1: Absolutely. 100%. And I think you you hit the nail on the head. And even going forward, I I would be very reluctant for our system to be the decision maker, and certainly to be the sole decision maker, right? I I don't think that we'll ever get to a point where we will allow uh, any decisions to be made completely from AI. And we don't necessarily do this as humans either, right? We very rarely rely on the opinions of one person or, or one source, right? We tend as humans to try and validate our decision-making through multiple sources. And, and the, the best decisions are usually the ones that are made when you've kind of corroborated it and collaborated it and and formed a consensus. And I think that we shouldn't be treating AI any differently.
0: And I think your, your point about how we would treat another human is a really good analogy. I mean, I, I don't love using human intelligence as a starting point for AI because I think it misleads us. But it is worth remembering what our expectations would be from anything else, right? If we hired a PhD who's super smart, who you yep. still wouldn't say, great, let me know how it goes because I'm going on vacation. You'd say, great, <laughs> I'd, lo- I'd love to hear your opinion and I, I value what you say, but you know, I'm, I'm going to have the person running the business continue to run the business just with new- a new tool set. So that makes a ton of sense. Exactly. So when you talk about safety, what, what does it look like? Like what's the product what form does it take and and what are people adopting
1: so it looks just like any type of chat application so if you think about i don't know whatsapp or your facebook chat or your instagram chat you know it's it's a set of messages and 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 you've got an identification of who the where the message came from whether it's you or it's come from a a third party or, or our conversational ai and The way that you interact with it is the same way that you would interact with another person, right? You'd you'd say, hi, hello, you'd wake it up, you'd talk to it about what you wanted to do. And that might be to kind of log an observation, or it might be that you want to identify or understand the risk of a task that you're going to be doing. Or sometimes the bot might start the conversation and initiate the conversation with you certain times of the day, or when it knows or understands that you're about to do something and it will initiate the conversation and, and guide you through either a process or a workflow, or to disseminate information to you, to help you to understand the risks or the hazards of a task that you're about to do. And, and again, it's through this kind of intuitive, chat interface where we spend a lot of our time actually interacting with machines. So we've now moved away from interacting with computers, sitting at a desk with a keyboard, a physical keyboard and a screen into interacting with machines using text on our our mobile devices, right? And I think the next evolution of this is probably going to be interacting with it using voice. But I personally feel that the technology still isn't there for us, for the computer to understand us, to be able to kind of drown out the background noise and all of those things.
0: And it's still frustrating when it gets the words wrong.
1: Exactly.
0: What, you know, also though, looking at what you've got on your site, it's not only the text interface, you have some standard kind of dashboarding and so on, right? So people aren't expected to only be remembering what they've heard or said. You also have a SaaS, the kind of classic SaaS interfaces. You want to talk about those real quick?
1: Yeah. So obviously it's all well and good, you capturing information and, and it be like you us creating an intuitive way of capturing that information. But the information needs to be, or the data needs to be used to create information, right? For it to kind of help you make the decisions and drive insights. And the one thing that we have found and we get some really good feedback on is that the the dashboards inside the application these kind of quick in your pocket dashboards is what we call them are really helping for adoption so a lot of the time systems ask you to import data and you very rarely see what happens with that data right it goes kind of goes into this black hole and that might be used to produce a report once a month or it goes and, and is buried somewhere whereas here we can get some instant feedback to the users about how the data that they're inputting into the system is helping them to kind of understand the risks and to mitigate the risks and to be able to help them to view how the project is performing from a safety perspective. And that kind of is a is a real positive feedback loop that encourages them to add more data into the system because they can see how it can potentially help to make the the site safer and to help them to do the things that they want that and they that they need and are being asked to do so so yeah i think the dashboard is a is a really important part of of any system is once you capture the data and once you've input the data is is that you need to do something useful with that data
0: yeah and it has the ability to go back and reference so it, it has some persistence over time which is one of the issues with purely conversational interfaces right is You have to remember what it said or ask it again, which is a pain in the neck. So being able to refer to things all at once is really great. So talk to me about what it's like for a company to use this. When you think about how you're adding value, like what does that look like?
1: So I think there's a couple of ways that we can add value. One of the biggest ways is to um, help to kind of create a culture of safety. So in a lot of the organizations that we're interacting with, it's safe to say, excuse the pun, that the (laughs) culture, the the cultures when it comes to safety are are pretty weak. There's there's this reluctance to capture information around safety. So whether that be observations or incidents, and it's kind of seen um, or safety as a function is seen as this kind of gorilla on your back right they're there they're there to kind of uh, police you and stop you from doing things and and real be, really becoming a blocker and what we try to do with our application is to show that actually it's an enabler it, it can help you to do things more efficiently and safer and by you contributing to it you're contributing to that uh, culture right you're contributing to that improvement the other thing that we we're really doing is is helping to close the loop so often what we're seeing is the, the organizations that we're working with are sometimes good at spotting things and capturing information, but not very good at closing out what they've seen. So the point that you made earlier about capturing information, whether that's conversational or not, but then working out or remembering what was said and then doing something about that. So I think having this this product, and and having this conversational interface, we're able to kind of encourage that the closure of tasks to be able to track the closure of those things. And so that's another that's another area where we're adding value. And I guess the third and the biggest one, and it's something we haven't spoken about is the ability to um, have people interact with the platform in multiple languages. And I think that's immensely powerful when it comes to safety a lot of the systems are usually built in English. And as you know, same in the US, as well as in the Middle East, is that English is not everybody's first language. And so allowing them to interact with the system in a language that they're familiar with is a huge and powerful message that an organization can send to people to say that, look, we care about you as as people. We understand that you're individual and the software that we're going to give you is not, we're not forcing you to use a language that's not your first language or something that you're not comfortable with. And I think especially from kind of disseminating information to this workforce is really, really powerful. So we are able to, for example, send micro training out to the to the workforce to help them understand the risks and hazards that the piece of work that they're about to do might entail. And we're able to do that in languages that are as close to or in languages that they're familiar with.
0: Talk to me a little bit about micro training. I like that idea.
1: So, so micro training, yeah, it's, it's 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 something that 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 we've kind of come across in in the last year or so, where instead of you having people formally sitting down in front of a PowerPoint presentation or somebody giving you a lecture, you're able to kind of digest small doses of training material, whether that be through a video or a really short PDF, which is full of pictures rather than rather than blocks of text, right? So I think we're guilty, especially in safety within construction, is that we're uh, producing huge reams of documentation. And we just list every single potential risk that could happen in a piece of work, and then like, kind of tick a box to say, look, we told you this might be a risk which is not very useful when it comes to helping you manage or mitigate risk. And so what we can do with these uh, micro trainings is to be able to serve this content to people, which is appropriate to the task that they're doing, which is digestible, because it's really, really um, small, and, and you can kind of look at it within three to five minutes. And then you'll be able to remember it more readily and more effectively.
0: Yeah, I really like that. I've I've come across that in the U.S. called microlearning, and it's been around for a little bit. And your point about really any compliance training, whether it's in construction or elsewhere, there's this issue where people do treat it like a box to tick. And often it's shown pretty conclusively to not be effective because it's like sit down for an hour. And have all these bad things thrown at you. And obviously, you're going to remember it all. And of course, you don't. <laughs> exactly. and people say, well, you know, insurance company, we did our training. So That's the right. fact that you're tr- sending people things that are bite-sized and just enough for someone to actually onboard and think about is uh, very validated by the learning science. My former company, we did a lot with e-learning. So I've, I've yeah. got a soft the- spot in my heart for that
1: the other the other kind of uh, I guess the other dimension to that Hugh is also you're serving them the content at the point where the risk might occur. so yeah. its not that you're in you' set you're, you're usually training has occurred remote from where the risks might occur. and so the human brain has difficulty kind of comprehending that right So if you're inside a a classroom or inside a lecture theater or inside a meeting room and and kind of being served this training, or you're doing training sat behind a desktop computer, it's very different from know, um, absorbing this, this information at the site where this piece of work is about to be conducted.
0: Much more contextually relevant, you're right. There's a guy named Josh Burson who had a lot to say about training generally, but specifically about learning in the flow of work. Really, really cool. So what is it like for a company to adopt safety? What do you, what's the normal process?
1: So usually they they reach out to us and we do a demo. So either that, that's a demo virtually or or physically if we've got presence in that region. And then we understand kind of some of their pain points and the issues that they've got with their current systems. Because I think the other part of it is that we don't want to sell people things that they don't need, right? I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of making use of the technologies and, and the investments that you've already made instead of just... Simply jumping to the next one. I've been a digital practitioner within the industry my entire career, and uh, there's nothing I hate more than people kind of deploying tech for tech's sake. So, so yeah, we, we do we do a demo and to kind of showcase our capabilities. Then, usually we have a, a kind of a month worth of, di- of discovery where we go into organisations to help them to understand. Where some of their pain points are, what the users are doing currently and how our solution can help them be more effective and how our solution can actually add value to them. Um, and then typically we have a, a kind of three month, two to three month pilot phase and during which time we do a configuration. So we, we've got some ability to configure the system to the needs of the of the particular organization to help it land properly and to make sure that um, there's a bit of familiarity amongst the users. And then we go on to a full-blown uh, implementation across multiple projects within an organization.
0: Well, let's take a brief tour through the things that you that you offer. So I'm seeing a couple of things that you describe, observation reporting, monitoring and tracking, incident management. Do you want to just give a quick little feature tour of, of what people are using it for and what the, the key sure. features are?
1: So I think, I think there's kind of three uh, main buckets of features, right? So if we, go, if we go with the data capture first, so we're using what we call conversational workflows. So we conversationalize any workflow. So if you've got a workflow around safety, whether that's capturing information around observations or incidents or simply inspections that are safety related, we can turn those into a conversation and you're able to capture that information really, really intuitively and efficiently from your users. So that's kind of one use case where you've got these these workflows that you can do instead of you having to fill out a form, what you're doing is having a conversation and that data is being contextualized and captured. and, And we're making it easy and quicker to fill out that information by predicting the answers to certain questions. So based on the answer to one or two questions, we can predict the answers to the third and fourth question, for example. And that does two things. That speeds up the process. For capturing that information, but also improves the quality of the information coming through. There's often times where people might not know the answer or or what to pick from a drop-down list, as an example, and so you get bad quality data, right? Because people pick the top thing on the list or pick something at random when they don't know. So we're able to kind of predict the answers to some of those questions, reduce the list um, from from say thirty down to three or four, and so we speed up the process and we improve the quality of that data. The second one we're doing is, like I said, sending information to the users at the point where risks might occur. So this is all about the right information to the right people at the right time. And so that is us understanding what the person's doing, where the person is, and what kind of information they want to consume, and then serving them that information at the point where risks occur. And that's the micro learning kind of things that we talked about. So that's using this really highly visual, graphical, micro learning documentation or videos and helping to understand the risks and hazards that are associated with the works that they're doing. And then the third thing we're doing is allowing people to have conversations with this plethora of health and safety information that we produce as an industry. So whether that be things like OSHA standards or the HSE standards, or it's company's own health and safety assurance standards or health and safety plans. And instead of asking people to kind of carry these war and peace documents with them or memorizing them, which nobody does, or referring to them when when things go wrong, we can allow people to have a conversation with them, right? So you, you talk to the data and say, hey, I'm going to be working with ladders. What's the protocol for that according to OSHA? Or, hey, I'm going to be um, digging a hole. What do I need to be aware of according to our management principles uh, for the organization that you're working with? And so that kind of, the so that, Q and a kind of conversational AI I think is extremely powerful, so those are kind of the three different features that we've that we've got and that we're working on with uh, various different customers
0: yeah, I love that, and it does speak to the fact that you know that's the way our brains work, maybe not in a fixed PDF reading kind of way, but rather in a as the ideas come to me, I'd like to be able to ask about them, which is again how we're how we deal with humans exactly so this is an interesting time for AI. Obviously, last year, there was a, an awful lot of conversation about open AI and what they, what they announced. Yeah. You know, how are you guys thinking about the future, especially since some of the underlying technologies moving so crazy fast?
1: Oh, it's, it's so so quick like the the rate and pace of change is increasing all the time and 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 I guess it's difficult to predict the future but what we what we can be confident in is I think that we're on we're at the very beginning of this massive social change right it's, AI is already and it will continue to change the way that we kind of interact with computers and interact with information and potentially interact with each other and i think for us it's all about trying to stay on top of it and keeping up to date with these changes and what they're going what they mean for us and how we can utilize the latest tools and enhance what we're already doing i think a lot of what's coming out from OpenAI is now looking at enabling people to use the tools better and more effectively. So a lot of what we saw last week was how you can start creating your own agents and how you can start using GPT to have these refined kind of workflows and use cases that are bespoke to you or contextualized for you as a person, right? And I think more and more of that will start coming out and you'll see use cases and you'll see the technology being easier to access, and in the same way that that the internet became uh, easier to use for people, and, and mobile phones became easier to use for people, I think that AI is as transformational as those technologies.
0: At least, it's transformational. Some of what we're all going to have to figure out is what does this do for processes, and how does this change different roles on the job site and in, in the in the project generally. Exactly. Um, very cool. Uh, Well, Prakash, this has been a great conversation. I'm glad we finally got to do it. Thank you for being on the podcast.
1: Me too. Thanks so much, you.